welcome to Board Game Famous, the board game podcast that chronicles two brothers as they journey to board game fame. I'm your host, David, and I'm joined, as always, with my co-host, Michael. Howdy, howdy. And introducing somebody who's not always with us, but will be for at least a little while, Jesse. Hey, y'all. I'm Jesse, and I am a gamer from Charlotte, North Carolina. Jesse uh, graciously decided, uh, graciously accepted replacing me while I am on paternity leave. By the time round this episode, round of applause, round yeah. of applause. I'll clap for myself. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know if you were clapping for the baby or clapping for Jesse. Oh, Jesse oh, made yeah, it clear. The baby for sure. The baby. <laughs> I'm going to leave it ambiguous. <laughs> <laughs> By the time this podcast airs, I will. Be at home, knee-deep in diapers. <laughs> Gross. And I'm very excited <laughs> about it. Congratulations, David. That's awesome. Thank you so much, and thank you for thank you for joining, Michael. Well, Michael and I have been gaming together for about four years now? Five, Five years. Five years? Five years. Wow. Okay. So I wanted to do a little bit of get-to-know-you section first. Jesse, what would you say is your favorite board game? Ooh, if I have to pick a single favorite, it's probably Dominant Species. Okay, okay. Is it? I'm assuming it's your copy Michael's always playing? It is my copy that Michael has played <laughs> a few times, yeah. In fact, most of the games I talk about in this podcast, um, he owns. That, well, okay, I'd say probably Maybe about... 40%. 40%. 40%. That's still a hefty chunk. We play a lot of games together. Yeah. What, uh, what kind of... What style of games do you prefer to play? I like mid to heavyweight games, mostly Euros, some Ameritrash. Uh, I like almost anything except for hidden movement, and I enjoy area control, but I'm very bad at it because I'm not aggressive enough. <laughs> I hear that. I'm, I don't enjoy it, though. I hate it because I'm not aggressive enough. <laughs> Says the man who loves dominant species. <laughs> Look, I mean... I don't want to be the arachnids, but if I get the arachnids, I'm going to eat you. <laughs> oh. And then one final get-to-know-you question. What games are you looking forward to playing the most right now? Ooh, what am I looking forward to playing the most right now? I wasn't prepared for this question. Um, you know, I've kickstarted a whole bunch of things, like a million of things, and Frosthaven is supposed to be showing up oh, pretty soon. Oh, yeah. So um, we are long, long into our Forgotten Circles campaign, and so trying to wrap that up and then get to Frosthaven when it arrives. Okay. Well, now we can return to our usually scheduled programming with, Hey, Michael, what you been playing? I've been pretty busy recently. But that doesn't mean I don't find time for board games. And one of the board games that I've played, and we're going to talk about in Game of the Fortnite, so I will withhold that into until that time. But the other game that I've been playing is The Crew. Uh, it is Jesse's copy of The Crew, specifically. And we have this agreement between our group of friends that if we just have a critical mass, three, four people, we'll play the crew in between heavier games just as a palate cleanser and so we played this cooperative trick win trick taking game uh <laughs> as a uh, palate cleanser between heavier games and this most recent time i think we're starting to get into the bulk of the meteor missions there's 50 total missions and we're over halfway there's 51 
We're at 31. We're at 31. <laughs> I'm glad that Jesse remembers this <laughs> and writes it down. But yeah, uh, I think I think we're getting much better as a group in understanding the basics and the strategies because a lot of these missions, you have to repeat until you win it. Um, there's your typical, you have the, all the numbers are dealt out to people. And then you have the mission cards that are placed out, and sometimes it's like, oh, these these cards have to be won by these people in this order, or this trick has to be won last, or you can't communicate in any particular way. And you have to repeat a missions over and over and over until you succeed at them. And I think the last this last time that we played, I don't think any mission took us longer than three tries. Sounds about right. So it's, it's nice being... It, falling into that groove and really getting the hang of it. One one thing that I like about the crew is it's so approachable because it's trick-taking. Everybody, even non-gamers, have played like hearts or spades or or even bridge. So it's, it's just such a nice game that anybody can play. Or even Euchre. Or even Euchre. I've never played Euchre. I, I couldn't have told you that that was trick-taking. <laughs> <laughs> I come from a long line of trick takers. Like that's what we do when I go home to my family. Like we're card gamers even more than we are board gamers. Mm-hmm. Did you try? Did you try the crew with your folks? I couldn't get anyone to play the crew when I went home. But um, we played. We played a lot of. I brought like twenty nine board games with me when I went home. <laughs> <laughs> we played like eighteen of them. I felt like that was a pretty good ratio. That's, that's pretty good. <laughs> Yeah. Normally, normally I find that the amount of board games that I take with me are inversely proportional to the amount of board games people want to play. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. I mean, the joke is that he'll bring two bags worth of games and we'll end up playing Necromore for three hours. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, Jesse, what have you been playing? Um, I've been playing a lot of games lately because I'm a teacher and I'm on summer break, so there's that. Um, But what I'm really excited that I've been playing lately is my father's work. It is an epic Victorian mad scientist game enjoyed over the course of three generations. It's published by Renegade Game Studios and was designed by T.C. Petty III, who is a member of Game Designers of North Carolina. The game is a competitive, narrative, app-driven worker placement game in which you are trying to complete various experiments and ultimately complete your forefather's masterwork, such as teleportation or lycanthropic strength. And there are three scenarios for the game, the cost of disease, fear of the unknown, a time of war. So I got to try two of those different scenarios this last week, and they were both even though it's the same game at its core, they were both very different in terms of the way the gameplay felt. It is really funny at moments. Some of the experiments I completed were a fruit bat with a clock in its chest. (laughs) Uh, The flavor text on that card uh, made me laugh. It said, despite obvious discomfort, specimen remains a living metaphor for the passing of time. (laughs) I also invented a twin-rumped cockatiel. (laughs) That was my crowning achievement. Um, So the game is wild because the narrative in the app is branching. Each of the three scenarios has eight different possible endings. So I'm the kind of gamer who will go back to those scenarios and play them again because, like, 
I'm a video gamer too, and I played Dragon Age, like, so I could be friends with the werewolves and also the elves. Um, <laughs> so, like, I want to go back and see, like, what some of those other story branches could be. It was a lot of fun, but it is a very long game. With my first playthrough, it took us about six hours, including the teach. And that was at Mini Moose Con, and it was loud and boisterous and not the ideal environment for this. Um, the next weekend I played at my house with a couple guys and it was about four and a half hours for three of us. Did you replay the same scenario or the second one? Uh, I switched scenarios to the first time we did the cost of a disease and with minimal spoilers, there may or may not have been werewolves in town and we may <laughs> or may not have helped them. <laughs> the ending we received was called Local Legends. The second game we played was A Time of War and we may or may not have supported the monarchy. <laughs> versus the separatists but this is the kind of game that you enjoyed so much that you wanted to keep playing it over and over because it sounds like you kind of played it back to back i couldn't stop thinking about it when i finished that first game like it is a game that if you have if you have the chance to try it definitely go for it but just know you're getting into a big long time commitment it was exciting, memorable, and super engaging. Like, the whole time, I just wanted to know, like, what's going to happen with these maybe werewolves. <laughs> That's interesting that this this is, sounds like a game that provides you with a little bit of a story to get into the theme. And I, the, the, while I don't normally get into themes of games, that's something that I appreciate that games try and do. One of the things the designer was very proud of on the Kickstarter for this was that each scenario has over 60,000 words, which is both <laughs> awesome and exhausting. <laughs> I loved the story. It was great. And I especially loved when there was narrative that was read aloud to us by the voiceover on the app. What I didn't enjoy as much was when there was long narrative with really like... I'm an English teacher, and there were some big words, like, y'all, there were some big, like, like, this designer was studying for the SAT, because those words were, like, odoriferous was one of the words, and I was like, that's one of the vocab words I teach. That's uh, a $10 yeah, it was, word. It was a little um, verbose, but for me, that was fun, but also, like, it definitely is part of what I added to the playtime. One of the really fun things was there was times when it's like, pass the phone to Dr. Snyder. And he would like pick up the phone and it would have secret information that he could tell us if he wanted to, but wasn't allowed to show us, which, you know, that's kind of a cool interaction to have with the game. So did you all have cool doctor personas? Uh, you know, the first time I was boring and I put my name in as Jesse and, uh, then, then the next time I was like, okay, I'll be Dr. Bernstein. And then, um, the other guys were like master of puppets in Black Adam. So. <laughs> I was like, I guess I'm still boring. <laughs> uh, here I said I wasn't going to use my last name. <laughs> but I love the uh, the culturally relevant uh, <laughs> uh, names at this current moment. Uh, it, was, it was a good time. Uh, so David, what you been playing? Well, before I launch into what I've been playing, Michael, maybe we should take a take a note from jesse because it was a very well prepared discussion <laughs> oh, thank you thank normally we were very we are very off the cuff but that was that was well done <laughs> way to show us up on your first appearance <laughs> I, I did my homework <laughs> you're on summer vacation you don't need to do homework michael was making fun of me because i came in with three pages of notes <laughs> I was 
more making fun of myself for not being as prepared as you are for my own podcast. Look, man, I'm a guest. I have to do good, okay? Uh. So let's try that again. Hey, uh, hey, David, what you been playing? So I recently got to finish out the West Kingdom trilogy. I had previously played Viscounts of the West Kingdom. I had recently talked about Architects of the West Kingdom on the Road to the 100. And recently I finished it off and I got to play Paladins of the West Kingdom, which I can now say is easily my favorite of the three. Now, Paladins of the West Kingdom is on the current Road to the 100, but it is too new to be on my list. It came out the same year as the list that I have. Uh, so it wasn't on the road to 100, so I'm not talking about it there. Like most of the games in that series, it is a worker placement game where every round you draw three cards off the top of your paladin deck, choose one, which gives you a benefit for the round. It also gives you two meeples that are different colors that you can place on your board. And after that, everybody drafts another set of meeples that they use throughout that round. And every action... Or, let me rephrase that, most of the actions take place on your personal player board, and they require a certain number of meeples, as well as a certain color of meeples to activate that action. And you're, you're activating certain actions, boosting uh, your red, blue, and black banners that allow you to take better versions of the actions later on. It's a little hard to describe. I thought it would be more thematic with the name of Paladins of the West Kingdom, but I found this one to be the least thematic of the three, but it was still such a good worker placement experience that that I, I enjoyed it the most out of the out of the trilogy. Uh, my favorite part is each one of these games kind of has a a a bad action, a, a naughty action, like I called it from Architects of the West Kingdom. And, <laughs> And there are certain actions that you can take to turn your meeple into a purple meeple, which is called a criminal. And whenever you do that, you take a suspicion card. And it, it, it's, it had this fun balancing mechanism of you can take this wild colored meeple so you can place it on any action that you want. But you're going to take the suspicion and when uh, when a certain event triggers, it's the Inquisition. And whoever has the most suspicion takes debt, which is negative victory points. And, and, and it was a fun balancing act between making sure that all of my banners were high enough, building out the buildings. I guess I guess I could talk about this part, too. Uh, there's one action that you can take that I think it was called Fortify, something like that. No, it wasn't Fortify. Fortify is an action, but this was a different one. It, it was very reminiscent of Scythe, where you... The upgrade action, where you take it off and it makes your bottom actions cheaper. This made mm-hmm. your your other actions cheaper. Uh, and, and I really liked that. So I tried like to... Like less meeples or less resources? Less meeples. It, so Which I guess is a resource. It is a resource, and it's a very important resource. Because most of the actions take three meeples. And you're drafting for your turn... Six. So you can take two actions on your turn. But as soon as you start getting those buildings out covering up the uh, the meeple costs, you can start taking four, five, six actions around. And you, there really does have that sense of progression of an engine builder, but not necessarily feeling like a normal engine builder where you're putting a bunch of cards in a tableau giving you a bunch of special powers. It's you're making all of your actions cheaper. And it was a 
easily, easily my favorite of the trilogy. A favorite of yours that you would be willing to add to your collection? I don't know about that. Um, I do have a lot of worker placement games already. Uh, and I think this one, while I don't, I don't know how good it would be at two players, because I play most of my games with Ellen, I'm not sure she would like this above any of the other worker placement games we already have. Plus, we already have our eye on a copy of Viticulture, so... <laughs> <laughs> Always a good choice. Yeah, I don't think I need to get... I don't think I need to get two new worker placement games. I think that's all I have to say about Paladins of the West Kingdom. It was just... It was just a fun worker placement game. Sounds like a good time. <laughs> I'm sure we could talk about the other game that I played in. Game of the Fortnite. This Fortnite, we are talking about Micro Macro Crime City. Designed by Johannes Siech. With artist Daniel Gohl, Tobias Jochinks, and Johannes Siech. Published by Pegasus Spiel in the United States. But as you can tell by the names I just listed... They're from Europe. So. <laughs> so the way that I describe Micro Macro Crime City to people is it's as if Where's Waldo was a board game. It is a deduction game that is just a giant fold-out map. I meant to actually measure it with a tape measure earlier to see what, uh, what kind of table size you need because it is not an insignificant map. And the drawings on it are... Where's Waldo's size? They are tiny, to the point where the game actually comes with its own magnifying glass so that you can look at specific details. I've never needed it, but I'm glad that they provide it. Each set of Micro Macro comes with a deck of cards, which is just different cases that you can solve. And the case usually gives you a starting point. It plops you in the middle of this giant map. You focus in on one little spot on the picture, and then it starts by asking you questions. Where did the victim go? And the map is not a freeze frame in time. The background buildings are set in time, but you can follow the characters through the map as they go about their day. So they appear multiple times through the map. So the questions are things like, where did the victim work? Because this is indeed Crime City, and you are playing a bunch of detectives trying to solve i believe in micro macro crime city it's all murders so you're trying to solve the murders that are happening throughout the city and and you follow these characters through as they go throughout their day you can see the people that they meet and then you can follow them through the city and you try and follow your hunches you have to use deduction to solve each case and Honestly, this this experience was just a delight. As somebody who loved Where's Waldo or I Spy books growing up, having this turned into a deduction game was just fun. I think Micro Macro is just charming. So I can't I can't remember how many cases come in the base game, the very first edition. I want to say 16. That's, 16. that's what I was going to say, so that sounds right. And I've only played about two-thirds, three-quarters of those missions so far, and I've only played the first one, just putting it out there, because you guys have played more. But, like you said, the thing that I like about this game is how charming it is, and because there are 
16 cases. You see things happening around the city, and you're wondering, is that going to be part of a future case? Like, you're trying to focus <laughs> on your current case, but you see something as you're perusing, you're, you're following your, uh, your victim down the uh, sidewalk, and all that kind of stuff, and you just see somebody hang out in the window in this funny scene happening. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is, a, this is a game that I play with my girlfriend, and we lay out the map, she has the magnifying glass. I have the cards. I act like I'm reading the case file. <laughs> <laughs> and she's the lead detective. <laughs> and we're going at it. No, just we're you know, we're on the beat and all that, <laughs> asking questions. And it's it's pretty fun. And like like you said, the the design of it is very well done of being able to track people through time, through an event in this city. And it's, and that I think is a refreshing change to what we have seen in board gaming recently. Uh, I play this game with two of my best friends and my friend Kristen is so good at finding the crimes. Like sometimes her husband and I will just sit back and she will just be on the map and she'll find the thing like before we're even near the map. Um, we rotate who takes turns with the cards because often we find that you're so sure you figured out the answer to this question and then no, you're in the completely wrong spot. Um, so then when she has the cards, then Dave and I muddle around the map for like 20 minutes looking for the next problem, uh, the next solution. But that being said, what I like about this game is it's really fast-paced. Most of the crimes can be solved in about 10 minutes. Some of the harder ones, maybe 20 minutes. Like, we could probably solve about four or five crimes in an hour. And it's a, it's a lot of fun. The crimes are lots of times really silly, like the things that are happening, like when you trace it back. And, and I think there's a lot of entertainment value. Like, you're, there was one crime I remember where you had to go back and see, like what 10 different things did this person eat as he was traveling that one was so hard (laughs) (laughs) and then like in one of the scenes he's getting poisoned and you're like oh he got poisoned when he ate that sausage (laughs) sorry spoilers 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 my bad my bad ahead to this time (laughs) you can't say skip ahead after the spoiler It's okay because you'll forget that that was a thing by the time you actually go play the game. I I, mean, I really appreciate that you brought that up because I was worried that Micro Macro was kind of a one and done situation. There's 16 cases in the box. You you finish all the cases, you pass it on, which is kind of what I've done because Michael, you actually are using my copy. I do <laughs> want it back someday because supposedly once all four versions of micro macro are released there will be crimes throughout the entire city and you need all four all you'll you'll need all four maps and i cannot wait for that i'm hoping to have it completed by the time i come visit you uh, and your baby yeah okay (laughs) (laughs) but but back to the you will you will forget about that because while the game you're using deduction to solve these stories you don't remember where things happen on the map because it's such a big map. Ellen and I have been playing through the second edition of Micro Macro, uh, which is called Full House recently, but we're playing through it at a slower pace than we are the first version. 
And because of that, when we went back to it, we actually redid a case that we had played previously without realizing it until the very end. But it was still a lot of fun to trace these criminals through the city. The biggest downside to me, and maybe it's just the audience that this is meant for, uh, like your friend, we find a lot of the cases pretty easy, but... Kind of adult-themed sometimes. <laughs> they're, they're, some of them are a little adult-themed, and yeah. Oh, like the spoiler tag for the next ten seconds, like the priest who goes to the naughty adult... <laughs> oh, the BDSM <laughs> dance? <Yeah. laughs> yeah. yeah, the, the fetish dance. I about yeah. fell on the floor! <laughs> so, yeah. So, it has some adult themes... But which is which is one thing I wanted to talk about. This game, it's called Crime City. It's got adult themes. This won the Spiel des Jahres, the German family game of the year. <laughs> I know that they're a lot more comfortable with certain topics in Germany compared to the United States. Just just saying, yes, we describe this as a Where's Waldo clue-like game. Be ready to have conversations with your kids about sex, BDSM, <laughs> prostitutes, I murder. A, I, I didn't think we were talking about what, what, what happened to the clean rating of this podcast. You got to edit that out. We've already put explicit on one episode. What's one more? <laughs> this is a lot of fun with the right group. I think this is a game that would not work well with all groups. I think that the group I've played it with, we have had a great time with it. I feel like it would be hard to do this solo because if you had to check yourself on the little cards each time, you wouldn't have someone else to like tell you like, oh, you're wrong. Try again. You would just get the answer. Oh, yeah. You're, you're bringing up a really good point. Each case has a certain number of cards and each card is a question like, where does the person live? And uh, you have to figure out where that person lives and you flip over the card to see what the answer is. And if you're wrong and you're playing by yourself, that doesn't necessarily feel so good. And I like what you talked about where you pass around who is control of the case, who is in control of the cards. Because, you know, in that rare case that, uh, or depending on your group, uh, in that case that you are wrong, you don't want every single time to be revealing, oh, oh, yeah. I can appreciate that concern for the for the enjoyment of this game, but but a workaround that I found for that is I flash the card real quick to just get the briefest glimpse of the picture because the, on the back of the card the solution contains the picture you should be seeing on the map, so you should be able to corroborate that picture with the actual map. And if you do it real quick, you could just go, oh, that's not correct. Let me keep searching. Now, it I doesn't like it. work for the one you were talking about earlier. It was like, what 10 things did he eat? <laughs> it doesn't work for situations like that. But for the majority of the game, it's a good solution. So I, I did find that that didn't hold me up with just two players. And I'm, I'm the person that reads all the cards. So I'm, I'm also the person that reads all the cards, but I don't mind because my girlfriend just likes being the lead detective. So. Yeah. <laughs> So I don't mind being the um, I don't I don't mind being the Watson to Holmes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, do y'all find um, that it can be hard to get space to look at the map? Like we play with three people, so sometimes it's a little crowded at the map. I think three people would be the most that I would play this game with. While it is a big map, the cases usually 
sprawl across the map because the characters can take public uh, can take public transit within the city. So they'll get on a get on a subway and travel halfway across the map. I find it easier for like one or two two people to walk around the map instead of going. Oh, they got on the subway over there. Let me find them now. This is my quadrant. We just all crowd at the map and compete to who can find it first. Usually, <laughs> Kristen. <laughs> Ours is where do they go? Like, where does that person go next? And we're just like searching in every single direction. <laughs> One of my favorite things about this, something that I was really impressed with for Micro Macro, was the amount of deduction that I had to do for a game that is essentially just pictures. Uh, we we were following a couple of cases, and I remember. Ellen's a little bit better at this game than I am, where she would go, well, we didn't follow this character. We need to check on this person. I would say that whoever did the writing for the cases did a good job with formulating the kinds of questions to set the right pacing for for these, di- for these different kinds of crimes. And to your point, David, a lot of these cases, especially once you get into it, it will have you focus on one part of the case and then it will stop you and shift you to a new whole idea of the case. And you might be bouncing back and forth and something you told me whenever you gave me this bag, because I never actually read the instructions (laughs) is, Hey, I left a bunch of pennies in here. There will be key things that you're going to need to remember. Put those pennies on the map because they, so you don't forget about them. Uh-huh. So. Oh, yeah. You'll need to mark certain locations on the map because you'll need to go back and look at the c- scene of the crime. That's genius. Do y'all find yourself tempted to color it in? I do, but I'm very <laughs> concerned because each character, you follow them through time that I'm going to lose them, find them again later, and color them a different color. <laughs> That's my Sometimes biggest concern. Sometimes the characters concern. look a lot alike, too. Like, they all have their little distinctive things, like... Oh, this guy looks like a rabbit with a beer belly. Which but which I do appreciate, because it's misdirection in the case. It's a red herring. You could start following the wrong character because they look <laughs> similar, but they're not the same. And what I'm wondering I'm I... wondering if coloring it in would ruin some of that. Because you might unsubconsciously give them a distinct look. Oh, for sure. It's so much harder than it would be if it was like a fully colored map. I think. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite moments in this game, and spoilers, skip ahead 10-15 seconds, was uh, we were doing the, uh, we were replaying one of the earlier missions in Micro Macro that we had forgotten, and we, uh, uh, the question was, where is the body? And we saw a hole that was dug near the shore, it's like, oh, the body must be there, and we flipped over the card, and it was, oh no, it's just a dead body on the shore right next to the hole. <laughs> 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 so we were so confident that it was the hole and back to that whole uh that whole coloring thing it would make those details pop <laughs> but we were we were so sure about this one detail that we just totally missed totally missed the body that was right next to it <laughs> david i love that you said there's some replayability to this um my friends and i like to do a lot of like escape room in a box type games and you know kind of the one and done kind of games and then we pass them on to other friends who like similar games. So when we finished this game, um, maybe back in May or so, we passed it on to another group and now we're playing through Full House. So that's something that I really enjoy with a game like this is being able to like spread that to other people in the community who enjoy 
the game. I think for people who find it to be a concern when choosing a game, like, oh, I'm not going to get enough plays out of this. Like, be honest with yourself. Take a look in the mirror. How many games do you have that are still in shrink wrap? Or how many <laughs> games do you have that you've played exactly once? I played this game 16 times. <laughs> I am happy. <laughs> I got my money's worth. And they're not that terribly expensive. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a pretty reasonable price, I think. Yeah. yeah, I think so. And so I've only played the base game, and I was going to open it up to part two and part three. How do they compare? To part three's not out yet. It was just announced. Oh, shoot. Well, how does it compare to part two? So part two, um, they learned their lessons from part one. Uh, like I, I, Something I complained about about Micro Macro was it was all murder. They vary the crimes a bit more in Full House Part 2. So the crimes are a little bit different, a little more interesting. And then we've been talking about the adult themes of the game. Uh, in Full House, each set comes with a little... Each case comes with a little icon on it that says, Hey, this is a more friendly crime. This is a more explainable to children crime. <laughs> and the really grisly crimes. Like, I think all the murders have... Like a, a a tough guy icon on them, but like the the easy crimes. Look how just theft or maybe petty larceny has a smiley happy bunny on it. Oh, ah. this is barely a crime. <laughs> so they are learning lessons and applying them to the newer sets, and I that's something I can appreciate. I think that's something that's really important when games expand their content is that they find ways to improve what they started with, which was great originally, but can become even better. So with all that gushing out of the way, would you, Jesse and Michael, give Micro Macro the board game famous gold star? Ooh, can I go first? Absolutely. So look, I was always like, ooh, they're so tight with their gold stars. Like, if I ever get on this podcast, I'm going to give everything a gold star. (laughs) And then when you told me this was going to be the game of the Fortnite, I was like, it is a good game. It is a game I enjoy. It is a game that's lots of fun. One of my friends on Thursday was making fun of me. She said, you say this about a lot of games. You say, it's not my favorite, but. Does that mean you hate the game? And I was like, no, it means it's not my favorite. Um, I like Micro Macro Crime City, but ultimately I have to go with no. It is not the best in the deduction murder mystery genre for me. I would a hundred times rather play Chronicles of Crime than Micro Macro Crime City as much as I've enjoyed it. Oh, so you're giving it a no. That surprises me. I'm giving me. it a nope. Thumbs down. Sorry, Micro Macro. I feel like a bad guy. Do you always feel bad when you say this? I feel oh, bad. Oh, Maybe no. I should change my vote to yes. No. no. Michael, save me. Take a turn. <laughs> I, 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 I never, <laughs> Do you give a gold star? Uh, I never feel bad about it. I don't lose sleep about it. So, uh, Michael, would you give this game the board game famous gold star of approval? For how in- innovative and refreshing and charming it is, yes. I, Michael, give it... <laughs> the coveted board game famous gold star award and i promise i'll finish it and return it to you <laughs> <laughs> now david final person barely this, on this podcast <laughs> this is like a tiebreaker vote Ooh. oh barely this is a tiebreaker pod- vote barely to be on this podcast soon how do you feel about it i love this game i've played the entire first set i'm working my way currently through the second set And I cannot wait for more to come out. I agree with you, Jesse, that it is not the best deduction game out there. 
However, there is no other game like this out on the market. It's just a fun map to follow through and get lost get lost in for an afternoon as you follow these tiny little characters lives throughout the city so i am giving it a, the board game famous gold star you said you were concerned that you were going to give it give it out left and right and you're the only one not giving it <laughs> the gold star yeah i'm a gold star miser <laughs> keeping those for myself baby i i know oh. i agree with your reasoning i think I think you are correct to result, not give it the gold star for uh, for you, but for me, there's no other game like it. And then honestly, I'm I'm really good at deduction games, and this so people don't play them with me very often. But this is one that's not just logic and reasoning. You have to follow it through time. So I can get Ellen to play this deduction game with me. And it's just it's such a good time. I don't I don't ruin it for everybody else. <laughs> <laughs> and it sounds like we're going to have some really good and some really quality installments coming up, which brings oh, yeah. us to our next section. Brother talk, which will soon need to be renamed as I am <laughs> leaving the podcast for a few episodes. That or our mom is going to have to adopt you. (laughs) (laughs) What's one more son? (laughs) And this time I wanted to discuss expansions. I'm soon to be expanding my family. We're expanding the hosts on this podcast. I I thought it was an appropriate subject to talk about. One of my favorite things about the board game hobby, and my favorite thing about board games is finding a board game I love, and then finding there's more stuff for it. Going out, buying the expansions, and just getting more for the game that I know that I already love. So what are your guys' thoughts on expansions? I break I break expansions into three categories. Necessary. Expansions that I will never play without. Good, but not necessary. And not so good expansions. <laughs> there, there are games that are good but the expansions just redefined them in a way that i would never go back to the original game not that the original game is bad but it just it just elevates it to that point and example of that is terraforming mars the expansion i would never play without is prelude because it just adds so terraforming mars one of the biggest complaints whenever it came out is it just felt so slow to build an engine and prelude gives you an opportunity to invest in these certain different programs from the beginning. So it gives you a foot in the door from the start in a specific strategy. Then there are expansions that are good, but I don't feel are necessary. And that's how I would describe most of the Everdale expansions. (laughs) I loved playing Everdale I talked about it a couple episodes ago, but do I think that any of the specific expansions I must play with every single time? No, I don't I don't necessarily feel that way. I think the base game is still really good and the expansions don't elevate it beyond that. And then you have the expansions that just don't just do not do not work out. I love expansions whenever they're good. And sometimes they're just not gonna be good. And an example of that 
is the wind gambit for Scythe, because uh, while the airship models are cool, I cannot remember the last time I have played with the wind gambit expansion. I, <laughs> I remember that's... being so excited for the wind gambit, and it just felt kind of disappointing. I think that's funny that you're complaining about that expansion specifically, because that is the wind gambit is trying to do exactly what Prelude does for terraforming Mars. It tries to uh, get your engine running up faster because n- usually you can transport meeples to a resource you might not normally have access to right at the beginning. So I, I think that's interesting that you can, you don't like that one that much. I have to defend the Wind Gambit expansion because I got to, a chance to playtest it and my name's on the box. So uh, <laughs> check yourself. <laughs> that is awesome. I, I just want to say that your name is on a lot of things for Stonemire just because you live in the you used to live in the same city as St- uh, Jamie Stegmire. Yeah. So. <laughs> I don't think it's a bad expansion. I just don't think it did as much for that game as the other two expansions did. If no, someone I, asked me, if someone asked me to play the Wind Gambit, I would, I would tell them that it's not worth buying so. <laughs> <laughs> so in general i feel that expansions are kind of like dlc in video games they are nice but not usually necessary michael you kind of like predicted my question i was going to ask y'all like is there a game you won't play without specific expansions and i had the same answer you did i would not play T- terraforming mars without without the preludes expansion but at the same time some of the other expansions just make the game long and i feel like some expansions don't add much in terms of interesting decision points or changing the way you're going to play or your strategy sometimes they just bloat the game Uh, i don't dislike any of the terraforming mars expansions but they definitely make the game much 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 longer which depending on how much time you have that's a great thing or a terrible thing i think Expansions lots of times add replayability by introducing new mechanics or new factions or new paths to victory. I also was looking at expansions in my collection to prepare for this topic, and I noticed a lot of them also add the option for an extra player or two extra players. Um, A lot of expansions add to your player count. Case in point, Scythe, Invaders from Afar, you now can have seven players. Everdell, Belfair, you can now play with six players. Champions of Midgard adds a fifth player with the Dark Mountains expansion. Root adds new factions and can play up to six players. Um, so I think that is a lot of times what people are looking for in an expansion. When What do you guys look for when you're choosing an expansion for a game you love? So I don't... I don't categorize my expansions like Michael does with necessary, unnecessary, that kind of delineation. I look at what the expansion adds. Is it A, more stuff? It's not really different from the base game that you have, but it's just more of what you love. For example, more factions in Twilight Imperium. Or I was actually thinking of specifically Dominion. That game, Dominion, is great. But... You get bored of it pretty quick if you just have the base game. There's not there's not the variety that the game likes to boast. But if you add one or two expansions, or like me, literally 11 of them, that, that variety is now endless. And, and I like those kinds of expansions, that it's just, here's more of what you already love. Then well, there are... Deck builders tend to favor those kinds of expansions. Right, it's just so easy to create more cards to play with. So that's just more the same, not changing anything. Then there are 
expansions that I think are change mechanisms within the game. Uh, Dune Imperium and Everdell, some of their expansions, have overlays. Those are both worker placement games, and these have overlays that change some of the actions or change how some of the game works. Uh, how do you guys... And I guess I'm not really answering your question about what I what I look for in an expansion. It's normally more of what I already love. I don't need them to add new mechanisms. Just give me more stuff to keep that game fresh. How do you guys feel about expansions that are either mix in, you have to play with them, or modular expansions, which it looks like is a trend in the hobby right now, where it's, here's an expansion with three or four different modules. Use them as you see fit. What kind I don't of sp- love modular expansions. Like I feel like a lot of times I, I get a modular expansion and I don't add modules. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I think I'd rather have a, an expansion generally that is these are all the parts to it. Like I have Viticulture, the big box with Tuscany, and how many times have I played with any of the Tuscany components? Not very many. Except for just Tuscany with the Four Seasons. I will not play Viticulture without the Four Season Tuscany board. So <laughs> That's another essential. <laughs> That's another essential. It also helped that I played that one first before playing regular Viticulture. Yeah, I'm not a big modular expansion kind of guy. I, I I want it I want it to work or to not work. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes I feel like modular expansions just don't have as much of a developed idea. Um, so, for instance, Belfair for Everdell. I love Everdell. I love the expansions. Belfair is modular. And to me, the modules individually don't add enough to the game that make me want to put Belfair on the table when I'm when I'm choosing what expansion to play with. I'd much rather play with Spirecrest. Or all of them. No, I'd much rather play with Spirecrest. <laughs> <laughs> I, actually, I actually really do well when I play Pearlbrook, but I like Spirecrest more. Do you buy expansions to the games that you love like absolutely so you, you, as soon as you know an expansion's coming out you're gonna you're gonna get it essentially i i am a much more uh conservative purchaser so uh no <laughs> I, I, I do my research and see if that's kind of one thing gonna like jesse here on the other hand i'm wildly <laughs> aggressive with my purchases sometimes <laughs> Uh, it's foolish because lots of times they don't get played or played as much and I, I probably should research more. What do y'all think about games that are developed concurrently with expansions being developed? A lot of times you'll see on Kickstarter, for instance, like, here's this game you can kickstart and you can kickstart it with its expansion. Alright, alright. I love Onk, the board game. It is probably my favorite Eric M. Wang mythological trilogy. I've said it multiple times. That game launched with way too many expansions from the get-go. Either include them or don't include them. <laughs> it, it makes me think that that's just a money grab at that point. I don't back anything on Kickstarter that has a billion expansions right off the get-go. Because I don't know if the base game is good. My purchasing habits are always, let me play the base game first, then I'll try expansions from there. I don't think... I'm trying to think if I've ever purchased a game and with expansions. I don't know if I've ever done that. With the with the exception of Anachrony, it did come with a couple of modular expansions in the box, which I've never played with. <laughs> they are <laughs> they are still in shrink. 
but I backed it for Anachrony, which I really do like. And I'm so it's just that's not one of the games that I can get an expansion for, like to the table for. I think the only exception is one: the base game is good on its own. If the base game feels incomplete without the expansions, I just I can't get behind that business decision. And two, if I see that being done by a designer that I am familiar with their stuff, I'd probably be more inclined to do something like that. I, I've i noticed a few games have come out with the base way to play, and then it adds on variants or modules in the base box. And I can appreciate that, but even then I still don't get to that modular expansion for it. Broom Service is a game that's been in my collection for probably close to a decade now, and I play it all the time at the entry level. There is a baggie of components that I have that are that modular expansion that's included in the box. I've played with it maybe twice because, I, like I said, I like to try the base game before I add expansions. I have started to cool on expansions a little bit. And by that, I, and I know that because I haven't purchased the most recent Dominion expansion. This is the first one I don't own. My comple- my collection's incomplete. So I think our uh, I think our general consensus is expansions are good. Expansions are wonderful, just as long as you are purchasing them for games you already know that you like. You know, I'm I'm glad that most of my favorite games have expansions. that brings us to mail time the part of the show where we answer your most burning desired questions and this fortnight's mail time question comes from a member of our discord cody and he asks how much time should be given for post-game strategy slash review does it have a place at the table or should the group move on to the next game and i think i want to hop in here pretty quick and just say depends on how big a group of nerds you got because I love to have a post-game discussion. But it's not for everybody. I've tried to chat about it, and I've gotten glared at before as for people who just wanted to move on to the next thing. But I like a, I like a little strategy discussion. I think it depends on who you're talking to and how you're talking. I can't stand when someone, like, explains to me, here's what you did wrong the whole game and why you lost. Like... I can figure out why I lost. Like, thank you, though. Um, yeah, that's, that's I just because I didn't do good. <laughs> yeah, I, I think our dad has a good way of, uh, of putting it. It's it's not what you say; it's how you say it. <laughs> it's there. There are a handful of people that I will not do post game review with because of their personality. I think the first example is they're not humble in victory, and they're a bit of a sore loser. So it's just not fun to talk with them about that. A second example are are people who don't take criticism very well. (laughs) I have... And and that's more of a, hey, you taught the game poorly, and I'm frustrated that we we did this two-hour exercise in pain and suffering. (laughs) 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 And I need to give you criticism based on on this experience. (laughs) But I think in my core game group, uh, we, we don't really have hard feelings most of the time. Yeah, there'll be s- scenarios. One of our friends, uh, <laughs> for the longest time, complained about our first play of Trade on the Tigress. No, Tigress. <laughs> Trade, it- Trade on the Tigress. Trade on the Tigress. Trade on the Tigress. <laughs> because, one, 
I was lying. <laughs> and two, he said that it was too loud for him, and so he didn't enjoy the entire game. Because the first time we played the game was at a convention. So, but we ended hmm. up playing the game after years and years of him get finally getting over it. And he enjoyed it much more the next time around. <laughs> so you, you gotta you gotta read the room, but most of the time we'll talk about it I'm like, oh man, that was a really cool play and how you did blah 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 and you blocked me here and just whenever it's like it's like, Oh yeah, I saw that based on your board situation that this was going on, so I knew I had to just do this and that's really cool. So I remember I remember our discussion after we played Terra Mystica online with uh, with members of our Discord channel. There was one move that I was actually sweating and I remember afterwards during our, our post game wrap up you said, Yeah, I thought about taking that from you and I was like I, I know, I know you did, but I waited against, I was like, I don't think he will. Like, that was a purposeful decision, <laughs> and I'm glad you brought it up in the review, because I, I was a little bit proud of that moment. Yeah, it's, whenever you have those reading the table moments, actually talking about what's going on in the mind and not just on the table. Yeah. Uh, those are one of the nice things about post-game review. I think I usually do post-game reviews with games that I love that I share and teach to other players. I'm just like, what did you think? What was your favorite part of the game? Why did you not in- why did you not like it if you didn't enjoy it as much as I do? Right. I think that kind of conversation for me at least is more organic than a strategy discussion after the game. Um, right. I th- I think that's the kind of thing I tend to ask people like during cleanup time. Like I don't spend a lot of time talking about the game after we pick up. Uh, I think, for me, that's the adequate amount of time, is how long it takes to clean up the game. A lot of times you can gather important information that you should use for teaching the next time from the cleanup. These points and topics that you should bring up during the teach phase that should avoid and alleviate frustration. Yes, you might not be the expert on a game your first time playing, but just saying, oh, this player didn't realize this about the board game next time i teach it let me tell them that oh for example in scythe yes you have this big board in the middle of the table one of the most important things about teaching is your <laughs> the goal is that small little board you have in front of you mm-hmm. yes the big board is very very important but a lot of what happens is what's happening here so And that concludes another episode of Board Game Famous. Thanks for listening. And thanks, Jesse, for joining and taking over for me for a little while and really being a part of this. Really appreciate it. And uh, I hope our listeners uh, get to hear a lot more of you in the future. Thanks for having me. I'm just happy to be here. I'm sure our listeners are really going to miss you while you're gone, David. Aww. (laughs) If you have any questions or comments about our podcast episode or want to be on a future episode, please email us at boardgamefamous at gmail.com. Or you can join our Discord with the link below. You can also follow us on Instagram using the link below. Until next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Jesse, you want to say bye? Bye! (laughs) Bye!